Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to episode f- 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 5 of Staying Alive with me, Jesse Smith, a podcast about how to monetize your talents and stay afloat in the ever changing ocean that is a creative arts industries. Thank you all for tuning in to this week's edition of Staying Alive. It's been another crazy week in these unprecedented times. As a white male, I sometimes find it very difficult to know what to say, but as this podcast is my platform, I think it's my duty to have a go. And this is a statement I came up with on my Instagram this week. I'm so lucky. Maybe because I live in London, which is so diverse and so beautifully multicultural. Or maybe it's because I'm in the arts and I've been lucky enough to travel and share a stage with people from all over the world. I'm also lucky to be a millennial and let myself believe that I'm born into a generation where racism isn't really a thing anymore. I surround myself with so many wonderful, accepting, kind people that maybe I'm guilty of letting myself believe that racism is on the decline. But then I remember that I'm a white male and I'm incredibly privileged. This conversation is uncomfortable and I'm sure a lot of people like me are struggling to put into words how they feel and where we fit into the conversation about racism. But the more I think about it, the more I'm certain this fight belongs to all of us. My outrage and sadness at the death of any black person by law enforcement and the continued systemic racism in the US and around the world is a single teardrop in the ocean. But by speaking up together, eventually we will drown the fires of racism. Black lives matter. And then this is one of my favourite quotes from Miguel de Unamuno, which is, fascism is cured by reading and racism is cured by travelling. I also want to thank all of you again who've been tuning into my live streams. They've been so much fun so far and I thank you all for your kind donations. Yesterday I announced the re-release of an album I put out a few years ago called Acoustic Anthems. It was produced by me and my great friend Oliver Hayward. Over half of them have already sold since last night, which is just incredible. So if you'd like one of the remaining copies, please head over to jessiesmithuk.com now. Today's guest is an amazing performer, an artist, and an even better human being. We grew up together in Reading, and in 2009, I watched him shoot to superstardom after appearing on The X Factor. Simon Cowell said his performance of With a Little Help From My Friends was the best first audition he'd ever seen. Today's episode is a peek behind the curtain of being on a TV reality show, but also about the human beings that appear on them and what happens when the show is over. Please give a warm welcome to the brilliant Daniel Johnson. That's not as fun. Yes, so I've run 5K uh, nearly every single day in lockdown. 
Um, and I've, I think I've run 110 kilometers in that time. So wow. is that is, good for your knees? <laughs> no, it's fucking terrible. Like absolutely <laughs> terrible. I, I don't know why I'm doing it. There's no reason. Like literally it's, it's so it can fuck up when I'm older and that's it. They'd be like, oh, what happened? How come your knees are so bad? Well, there's this one time we had a virus and then yeah. everyone decided <laughs> they could only go outside for an hour's of exercise. So people just walloped it on the street and that's what happened. Yeah, exactly. What are you missing most about uh, about not being a, about being in lockdown? What are you missing most? I guess just I guess just people and interaction. You know, I live by myself. I got my dog and stuff. But yeah, I mean, uh, and I I think it's going to be weird about going back. Mm. I think we're going to have a weird feeling about going back. I think we're going to struggle. Knowing whether um, to shake hands or hug each other and all that stuff. Well, yeah, a little bit with that. You know, I, I think it's it's going to be uh, it's going to be a a bit different because I, I think even if you watch TV now, just watch the TV, watch and you watch any old show or films and, and people are hugging or touching or anything, you're like, Oh, weird. Yeah. Already. Definitely. And it's only been like what a month. Like mm-hmm. if you think about how long, like our grandparents went through war, you know, like years and years and years. And we're just so soft now, aren't we? Like there's an element of softness that we have that we're not, as hard as we think we are. And everyone's like, oh my God, I went to the shops the other day and they didn't have any broccoli. I was like, well, just get what is ever there. Why, why are you yeah, waiting? Yeah, yeah. Like, got this checklist of what you should be able to get what you should got last time. But it's it's not like that anymore. It's kind of like, you got to pick up what's there. Exactly. And we everyone should shop more locally anyway, shouldn't they? Like, it's weird to have mango in the middle of winter in in the UK, right? But Yeah, but, but, but we're so used to it. How, how could we do anything that's different? We yeah, just, exactly. It's, it's super used to it. But it is, it is incredible. I, I've actually taken the stance, though I've come off it a little bit. Um, I've started giving up things. It's, it's, it's kind of like my Lent, but uh, I've actually given up listening to the news because I actually feel like it's not overly good for you right now. Mm. Like, I th- you can I definitely think have too much of it, can't you? Well, I don't think anyone actually really has the answers. Honestly, I don't think anyone has the answers. Mm. And so it is... It is incredibly everyone everyone thinks they're right everyone thinks that that what they they've heard is the truth and Mm. i'm gonna let you know no one knows no you just have to do the advice don't you and just try and be safe and look after your friends and family and that's it yeah and the funny (laughs) thing a funny thing about it i mean yet again who knows if this is is, is, this is even true but the advice is funny because the advice is sort of saying stay inside save the nhs you know blah, blah blah but then there's thousands of people dying and you're like so are they not staying inside how have they got it they? Mm. you know what i mean like in a sense like they are still vulnerable people and they're like the old people are really vulnerable i'm like yeah i know so why are they outside if that you know what i mean it's so mm. funny that uh, actually the best way of sort of sorting this is is to protect the old people and the vulnerable people and everyone else goes out and if we get it we're ill for a week or two and we majority of people will be fine um mm. yet again we still don't know if that's true we have no idea and as soon as we say that they'll be like oh my god like a 13 year old died you're like well okay well, there's no theory i, <laughs> yeah. I don't know I, nobody knows intrigued. today mate yeah. i've said this a lot i'm very intrigued if we can um get through this and look back in 10 years time and go what would we have done differently mm. it'd be really intriguing to see what we would have done differently you know yeah um, 
So I'm up to that. Anyway, I guess that well, this is how all your podcasts start, isn't it, really, at the beginning? Like, let's talk about coronavirus. Yeah, <laughs> yeah basically, I, I like to do that thing where I just hit record randomly. And then at some point, I'll introduce you and say, hi, this is Daniel Johnson, everybody. <laughs> so he, he, he hasn't actually shut up. So <laughs> yeah. Well, that that's brilliant for a, a podcast host when uh, when your guest just likes to talk. So <laughs> I knew that would be fine. But, mate, seriously, thank you so much for doing this. And um the, the whole point of doing this podcast is to try and give people s- some sort of inside scope into what it's like to be an artist, how to survive as an artist. The podcast yeah. is called Staying Alive and how to maintain that over many years. And you've got a pretty incredible story, really, uh, looking back. And so, yeah, I just I guess the first question is for pe- most people will have seen you, obviously, on TV that first time back in 2009. What what happened before then? Up until that point, who was Daniel Johnson before then? And what kind of gigging were you doing? What kind of a musician and performer were you then before any of that happened? I mean, I was just a, a lover of music, you know, and, and I've known you for such a long time. And I started very young um, writing little poems, like little songs. And I I I didn't really sing them because I I couldn't really sing and, and people would say that still now, but uh, like I wanted to, <laughs> I wanted to uh, sort of express myself in a weird way. But I'd sort of go downstairs and I'd write a little poem called like "I love you" or something stupid, and uh, and and then I carried on, I carried on doing it, and then I sort of met friends who were musicians and stuff like that, and they're like, "Oh, you should sing." And it wasn't until I moved to Reading until I was about fourteen. And sort of music really was really important to me. And I had some of the worst tastes in music. Like for you, you're probably liking Led Zeppelin and the Beatles and stuff like that. I was liking like Wigfield and, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and uh, Baby D and like the weirdest stuff. But then also was brought up on The Police and Michael Jackson and Janet Jackson and all this kind of old soul music that my parents used to listen to. And we had vinyl in the house, which we weren't allowed to touch, of course. Um, <laughs> but, uh, it, you know, and then it kind of moved a little bit forward. And I remember going and sort of going to a theatre company, which is funny enough, we may know each other from. Yeah. Um, and I think that was kind of the turning point because I don't think I'd been in a room with so many talented people my entire life that I actually wasn't talented anymore you know what i mean that there was there was this next step that i thought oh i'm you know i'm i'm all right i can do this a little bit and then i've stepped stepped into room with people you know uh that have just gone on and done some great things and i was like i need to step up my game and that and that that was one of the things that i just thought we take it for granted that we have music in us and we have like you know that that energy of sort of performing and then we forget that so many other people have that as well Oh, totally, like yeah. so many other people like you know from from you going into you know what you do now and going into west end and all that stuff beforehand you're like ah can we swear on here are we allowed to swear yeah of course yeah yeah <laughs> oh shit you know like like i am i talented can i do this and i think actually what you need to define and i think the most important thing to find is just you being okay with you Totally, I think that's yeah, super, yeah. super important that you don't need to be, we're like our worst critic. Someone told me that if you met anyone that it was as mean about you as you are to yourself, you wouldn't have them anywhere near you. They wouldn't be your friend. They wouldn't be anyone close to you, but you walk around with that person every day and you're so harsh to yourself. You need to be, maybe not be your own friend, but you need to step off a little bit, you know, and not be too hard on yourself. 
I think especially when it comes to being creative, because uh, there's this uh, there's the old saying, which is like the creative process is like, I'm writing this. I love it. Uh, it's like, I like this. I love this. This is the best thing I've ever done. I'm not sure about this. I'm not. I'm not, never going to play this to anyone ever. I hate this. Yeah. I'm going to throw it in the bin. And that's that's kind of that's the as a creator, that's what you do. You're always criticizing yourself, aren't you? And but, yeah, but, I think I think you do. I think, uh, but it's not actually you criticizing yourself. It's you having this measurement that you take to other people, so friends and family, and then they have an opinion on something that they don't even know the understanding of how you wrote or created something, and then they have an opinion on it. And it just ruins you. Mm. And you're like, ah. And if they just might have not got it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I guarantee, you know, not saying that we're anything like these people, but I guarantee when people, you know, came in and they sort of like when Picasso went, here you go. Mm-hmm. And mm. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And, and it wasn't until he wasn't here anymore until people were like, wow, this guy's amazing. And, and sometimes I don't, I actually think, that praise is for when you're dead. Like, don't look for praise. Just mm. do your job. Do whatever you've got to do. All right. Be creative. Mess up. You know, do shit stuff. But praise is for when you're dead, not for when you're alive. And if you look for it, you stop being an authentic version of yourself. God, that's I, deep. Sorry. I, I think if you look at all the best artists, though, they're always kind of the ones that are striving to move forward, aren't they? The David Bowies of this world and. You know, they're, they're always reinventing themselves and they weren't dwelling in the past, like you're saying. So anyway, let's, you mentioned mm-hmm. um, briefly about, uh, you didn't name it, but you you were talking about Starmaker, which is uh, a theatre company based in Reading, which is that we both went to when we were kids. Uh, it, it was kind of an amazing thing, right? I just want to talk about because we were both in it. And it was a kind of, it wasn't a professional thing. It was a, it was like a Wednesday night, Friday night and Sunday Sundays during the day and you would rehearse uh you would rehearse it was you didn't learn per se did we we didn't have classes but we would rehearse for a show do do you look back on those days fondly with all all the all us guys and there were some great people that around us at that time the funny thing about it like I, I I've got like uh like new people that come into my life and when they go, oh, how do you know this person? I'd be like, uh, from Star Maker. I'm like, oh, yeah. cool. what, about, <laughs> yeah. what about that person from Star Maker? What about that person? Yes, also from Star. Like all these people are literally still in my life. Some of them related to me now. Uh, yeah. But you know, <laughs> it's it. There's you know, and it was just incredible, incredible place. It was like our youth club. You know, exactly. One of there every Wednesday from like half seven till ten. Friday half seven till ten. And like all day Sunday, you know, rehearsing. And then we put on these shows for four or five nights, you know, at a theatre. And I, I do remember going to when I when I actually went to uh, drama school, I was like, oh, shit, I know fucking nothing. <laughs> like, I, just knew, I, I only knew how to get up onto a stage and perform and learn lines. I didn't have any technique. And it was no, no fault of, of Starmaker for not giving us technique. I think they just allowed us to be our creators. And I think that's one of the reasons that so many people have gone on and not only have, you know, been really successful, but then gone and opened their own schools and gone and, you know, and, 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 and carried on that seed of what they learned from when they were at Starmaker. It's mm. incredibly important for me because when I moved to Reading is one of the first things I joined. And like I said, I was speaking to, uh, there's a guy called Michael Quinn and a guy called Stephen Boyce. And we had this really terrible boy band that we put together. And, 
we still talk about it now. I mean, it was like 22 years ago. It's mental, but you know, it's, and, and, and we have all these memories and obviously you came a little later and you know, we saw the next generation of talent and look at you kick on. It's, it's, it's amazing. I think, I think it was, it wasn't really about like learning. Was it like you're saying it was just about being on stage and performing and doing shows. And, and actually you look back and they, you know, they were pretty decent standard quality, you know, in terms of quality show, in terms of like the sets and the scenery and, and it was a charity, you know, and yeah. it was pretty amazing experience. And like, like you're saying, you know, you, you can do all that technique stuff, but there's no substitute really for, for, for being on a stage and performing in front of people. Is there, you know, it's like, no, I know so many, so many bedroom guitarists who've never done a gig in their life, you know? Yeah. yeah and it's, it's really true. And you can get sort of slightly inside your head and, I just felt like it was the best way to be thrown into the deep end. And yes, technique is important. It totally is. But feel is like the most important thing. And I think I've always been, I've always struggled being broken down. I've always hated that reconstruction of you have to break me and then re rebuild me. And that's what I had when I went to, you know, to, to drama school. And I, I felt like, wait a minute, I, I don't think you give a, shit who i am i don't think you care who i am you're trying to just make me like how to be successful in this industry and not as individuals and that is fair i just may have gone to the wrong place i might have gone to the wrong school you know so where, did, where did you train so i went to art set and i only mm. lasted a year because it just it really wasn't for me it was it was amazing and some lovely people but someone asked me and i spoke to someone the other day i hadn't spoken to him for a very long time and they had a bit of sad news and they said to me like, did you enjoy your time? And I said, I did. But all of my friends were from Star Maker and they still are. And he said, who do you still speak to from uni? I was like, no one. Because mm. yeah, yeah. I already made my friends. I already, like, people come and go and that's fine. And I've made some great new friends lately. You know, but that foundation of that creative hub, it was just a bubble. That's yeah. Star, Star Maker was this huge bubble and, and we lived inside it and, and we were there for, you know, a number of years. Um, did we do a show together? Were you? Did, we, did you do Children of Eden? I wasn't yeah. in Children of Eden. I remember watching it. I was I think I was in Star Maker at the time, but I think I was yeah. just too young to do that one. But that's where I remember seeing you for the first time, really, because you played Kane, right? Yeah. And you, you had to sing that brilliant song, uh, Lost in the Wilderness. I remember thinking, this guy's great, you know, because obviously I was I was about 10 or 11, you know, looking up to you guys. You know, it was it was cool. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, just just a weird time. And, you know, we're we're, we're doing this uh, little project um, later on in the year. All of us have got back together. So there's a guy called Stuart. There's a guy called Ben. There's a guy called uh, um, Harry. There's a guy called Tom and um, Scott. And we've we've all come back together to do this charity sort of gig. Uh, and then literally i think all of us were in children of eden <laughs> yeah that's amazing like, you know and and, and and like i said this this show was what 2000 1999 you know it, this is a long time ago mm. and we're still you know everyone's got grown up and got married had kids and moved on and done stuff um and we're still friends you know mm. and that's an amazing thing but yeah i mean and, and you know what also they bring me back down to earth like that <laughs> yeah definitely we we that's the every time do you know what? This is really funny. So I, I seem like I'm talking about this gig all the time because it's the biggest gig I've ever did, I've ever done. But I, the biggest gig I ever did was this uh, this stadium show in Germany with the this film thing I was doing called Gutsdammering, and I 
first thing I did, mate, was walk out onto the stage in front of all those people. And I didn't quite fall on my face, but I just tripped on, up on the monitor. My foot just caught the wedge and I nearly went. You know when you sort of your foot goes, but you don't go? And in that exact moment, I just remembered that I was just a bell end from Reading and everything was fine. And and the gig went really well, <laughs> you know, and uh, yeah. And I think you just you have to have there's nothing worse than people that have never been told to shut up or never been told that they're shit, you know, because you, you need that kind of grounding of normality, don't you? <laughs> you, you do. It's so important. And even if it hurts a little bit, that's good because it's actually keeping you a little bit grounded because if you get above your station, which by the way, we all probably have, there's all elements where we're like, hello, look at this done really well. And then you're like, Ah, like that, you know, the element of you nearly falling over in, you know, in, in a show, actually, that makes that show even more important to your life because it created a moment that just made you think, what am I worried about? Let's just go mm. and do it. Have fun. I'm just that normal kid from before, from Reading. And, mm. uh, you know, it, it is important. Those moments are super important because if it, if it goes smoothly, it's boring. Mm. It, was so, so, it, was, it was just one of those perfect moments because I was... Uh, I don't know if you know Henry Rollins, but Henry Rollins is a uh, really famous punk uh, guy. And he was in a band called Black Flag and uh, he's an amazing orator and whatever. He was on tour with us and uh, he's this sort of real powerful figure. He's been in loads of movies and stuff. And and he was stood there really calm at the side of the stage. And I was pacing up and down the back like like a boxer about to go into the ring just because I was so nervous and so pumped up. And then, yeah, the first thing I did was almost fall over, sort of half fall over. on the, And in, in that moment, I just totally relaxed. So just going back to your uni briefly, do you, do you think there's any one one thing that why why it wasn't for you or why you didn't agree with it or it didn't agree with you, I should say? One of my main things, and I, I, I've looked back on it many times, is um, when you get into this industry, if you're, if you're going to be a singer, you dance, or actor, you can be an artist, whatever you do, okay, I also feel, and it's so true, it's such a parent thing to say, I also think you should have a little bit of a backup. But the backup doesn't have to be you go to go and work in insurance. It could be you go and learn how to cut hair, or you go and learn how to do a sports massage, or you go and learn to go and do something in the industry that if anything stops, like it is right now, there's elements of stuff, even if you couldn't go outside and cut anyone's hair, you probably could cut your partner's hair or, you know, <laughs> you know the, the element of that. But I just, I felt like I was worried because I did the maths and I looked at it and I was just, I thought there are 45 people in my year. There's 45 people in the year above and the year above. And every single year there's 45 people. So next year there's going to be 45 people. Now that's just this school. That's just these three years. Yeah. Wow. Mm. And, and I was just like, I don't know how sustainable is this. I mean, then I went on and, you know, went into teaching is a thing that we all kind of do because, you know, it helps pay the bills. And, and, and there's there's loads of kids to teach and those kids want to, you know, be taught by people who've done stuff, which is, mm. you know, really inspiring. I got inspired by so many when we were at Star Maker. We had so many people who had gone out, done stuff and they taught us. They taught mm. us. Who are we? You know what I mean? Like great MDs, great directors, you know, great choreographers. They really, back in the day, really pulled out. I don't know. I don't know how much they were paying these people. But, yeah, uh, <laughs> not, not enough, I'm sure. So, so, <laughs> yeah, so, so, so it's almost that that thing of kind of 
looking around and knowing that, you know, out of all the colleges, there's 45 people from every college and they're all going for those same sort of few parts in the West End. Was was that was that it or? Yeah, a little bit. And I just I I didn't see where my life was going to go past the age of 35. Mm-hmm. As I say, if it's hard now, it's going to get harder. And, and, and I was just like, is that the world I want to be in? Does that make me happy? And I knew it, I knew it didn't. And I wanted to be more creative. I didn't want to do someone else's work. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to sing someone else's songs. Mm-hmm. I wanted to write and do my own. Now, did that work out? And we'll get onto this later. Did that work out in the end? No, but I tried and I did stuff and I achieved stuff and I'm super happy of mm-hmm. everything that happened, even if it worked or people heard it or not. I've got those stories to tell and, and, and it, that's super important. And everyone who goes and so many people doing so well for my year from when I went to, when I went to stage school, but like it, I think I just felt like it wasn't for me. And because of that, I didn't work hard enough. And that is one of the things. And because I didn't work hard enough, I fell back. And cause it just, I just wasn't happy being there. And I was just like, this is not for me. And it wasn't until a long time later that I found like, Oh, okay. This is what I want to do, and I still speak to some of those teachers. And there's no, there's no. They didn't feel upset. Well, they're a bit upset when I left, to be honest. But like now, they're they're just proud. You know what I mean? They're like, mm-hmm. oh, that's what you're supposed to do. And I think it's a parent thing, isn't it? You know, when your your kid's doing wheelies up and down, you know, the road, and you're like, what are you doing that for? Get off! You're gonna hurt yourself. You know, all stuff. And then five, ten years later, they're performing in championships because of their techniques they learn when they're 10, 11, 12. Mm. you got to sometimes you've got to you've got to see when people have got a passion for something and you push them towards that if you push into their insecurities and break them down too much it's it's never great you know what i mean and, and for me that i'm a arm around the shoulder kind of person i play football i coach football you know i i'm a person to tell you all the things you're doing well and maybe one thing to work on mm. and the thing is every, everybody has their own path as well and and the, the body has the body has its way of of you know your stresses telling you that you're not in the right situation you know and i'm sure at the time like you said you weren't working hard enough but i'm i'm sure that was kind of a you that was your body telling you maybe this isn't for you you know maybe you should go and try something else and then so you, yeah. so, you so you started teaching at that point is that right yeah sort of so weirdly enough um i left and uh, my friend I, I was working uh, a gap part-time in chiswick and, and my friend was just like hey do you want to um you want to go and stay at my my sister's place. I was like, oh, okay, where? She's like, in New York. I was like, um, oh, okay. So uh-huh. I, was like, I was like 21, and I was just like, okay. So we went over to New York, and we were there for a little while, and then um, I was just like, I really want to just be creative and do music while I can. I'm 21, so like, how long do I have left to be creative in this way? So, you know, and, and like I said, my music taste was just shocking. So <laughs> I, <laughs> I was very highly influenced by boy bands back in the day. And so I'd learned all the dance routines to everything. And uh, I just, I came back from New York with this kind of like, look, I'm going to go and audition for some stuff. So used to get the stage newspaper and look at the back and like go to all these auditions in London. And I thought like, oh, I'm in London. This is going to be amazing. And then weird enough, I did get into pretty much every band that I auditioned for, which is very weird. Apart from one, which is actually, I don't think they won. Maybe they did go on to do something. Yeah, they were called Most Wanted, and I think they were, they were called The Wanted in the end, but it wasn't the same band. It was, a, it was an idea that happened maybe five, six years beforehand when The Wanted came out. But um, it, it, I just wanted to do music, and then, obviously, that doesn't pay the bills. 
And what does pay the bills is someone going, hey, do you want to come and help out my stage school? And Star Maker did that with their summer schools a couple of times. And then a wonderful lady called Sammy from Faye said, I'm setting up this uh, stage school. Why didn't you come and come and help teach? And I was like, mm-hmm. okay. And, and sort of learned on the job, really. Um, and I have to say, some of the most inspiring, the most inspiring job I think I've ever had. Because I see these now adults who have so much spark and creations, have achieved so much and struggled at the same time. Because the difference is, and you'll know this, before you had to go to a recording studio and get signed by a record label. Now you can make it in your bedroom and you don't need a record label. It's easier, but it's harder because everyone's doing it. I think mm-hmm. even just doing this, there's one million podcasts. Mm. Yeah, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean. It's it's saturated. You know yes, what I mean. Well, so it's really one, hard to cut through. One million and one now. One million and one. Come on. <laughs> and, and we'll just start counting from now. So there's just one now. Hey, that's a wine. Um, and so yeah, so teaching was uh, just amazing, and 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 it kind of led me. Um, uh, there's a guy called Sam Chapman, and I, I remember teaching him, and he's gone on to do some really great stuff. And he said, "You should you should do uh, you should do X Factor." And I was just like, "It's it's not for me," you know. I. I it wasn't, I didn't agree with the show. I just, I, I just, I actually didn't think I was good enough for the show, you know? And, and when I watched like Leona Lewis and I think, uh, and I saw clips of Alexandra Burke and stuff like doing them stuff, I was like, mm, I'm not, I'm not really into that. But he was like, no, you should really do it. And then that kind of gave me the impetus to, to, to go and do it. Well, let, let me read you. I've got some quotes here. I want to read on. these out to you. <laughs> so Danny Minogue it's the perfect audition Louis I thank God that you came in today Cheryl you're a natural born performer and I take you in my category right now Simon Cowell that was single-handedly the best first audition I've ever heard where'd you go from there Dan <laughs> well, da- well Dan Dan was, Dan was a great part I don't know if you actually watched the show but uh, yeah I mean what what incredible things to be saying. It's so funny. I don't equate that person on that stage in that audition as me. Like I don't identify. It's not that it. It's not like a separation. I just feel like I'm living out my body. It's it's a bit like watching old videos of yourself, and you're like, oh, I remember watching that. I don't ever remember doing that, but I remember yeah. watching that. And and so when you're getting these comments, I'd been there. Uh, I was there with my sister, uh, with uh, Mac and uh, my brother-in-law and uh, a girl called Jess. And I remember we sat there for like nine hours and I walked up to someone, I think we we're in hour six or seven. And I said, Hey, um, I, I haven't been seen yet. Uh, have I, have I been missed? And they were like, Oh, are you still here? And I was like, Oh, oh. okay. Do it. Yeah. We'll just put you um, towards the end. I was like, okay. And there's a, there's a, I say a lovely story. This is a really horrible story. But um, I remember this, I was just about to go on. And this guy was singing Beautiful by Christian Aguilera. And he was like one bar out. So the music was playing, but he right. was kind of behind. And it was, just, it was just terrible. And this girl, she was lost. She was very pretty. And she was like, I'm so scared. I'm so scared. And I was like, look, you're lost. And apparently today's been terrible. So don't worry about it. You're going to be great. Mm. She's like, I'm just really nervous. I said, what are you singing? And she told me what she was singing. I have no idea what it was. And uh, I was like, you'll be great. You'll be so good. And they're like, Daniel. I was like, okay, um, well, good luck. And she went, okay, no problem. And so I went on to stage and then that audition happened. Mm. And when I walked off stage, she was stood there and she was like, what the fuck? 
honestly i swear the judges got up and just left i don't know if she even auditioned i have no idea what happened it was like it was the end of the day after that and i remember having to do my interviews um because they hadn't interviewed me at all so i had to do all of my interviews like i hadn't done my audition and i was a mess and even my my mind was all over the place I, i didn't know what just happened and so i remember still saying I can't do this right now. Like I physically couldn't. I, my, there was no words coming out of my mouth, which is really rare for me. And, uh, <laughs> and yeah, so we had to go back and reshoot at, where was it? Boot camp. Uh, at the end of boot camp, I had to wear the same clothes and reshoot like it was the beginning of the auditions because I couldn't do it. Right. I, I am still terrible at those things as well. Like I'm very bad at them. But it's, I think it's, it's fair to say as well, like, in 2009 it was kind of x factor was no, no offense to anyone who's doing it now but it was very culturally relevant at the time it was in its peak and it was yeah it it was in all the newspapers and you know it 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 really was a big deal back then um and you you know you suddenly i guess obviously i remember i was uh, you know i was I've, we've been friends for a long time since before that and and I remember just seeing you everywhere. You're in the newspapers, you're on TV, you're doing, inter- you know, it was just, it was this huge phenomenon at the time, wasn't it? It was crazy. And I always, I always go back to when X Factor was hitting this way, because the reason why X Factor was so big is because it came off the back of Alexandra Burke and Beyonce, right? So Beyonce did the final on the year season before, and it, that just exploded. So I know that 250,000 people auditioned for X Factor for 2009. And um, wow. which is incredible, incredible amount of people there because it, I think it just sparked so many people. It also was the first year of the live auditions, which didn't start right. and they reshot. It also was the first a year of having a Sunday show. It used to be only Saturday, and, mm. the, and the results would be uh, after the news or something like that. You know, um, and, and then we're, so we were doing four shows because we had the Saturday show, then the Extra Factor Saturday show, then the Sunday show, then the Extra Factor Sunday show. Like it was huge and i remember just being at center parts with friends and um the audition was coming on and i remember a couple of days before it's in the newspaper on thursday and friday and a couple of people were like oh are you the guy and i was like hi and then the next day after the audition so on the sunday morning there was like 10 to 15 people outside our chalet uh, wow. and in that moment life had changed forever like i felt like i was now really responsible for my actions like i'm quite uh, i love going to the cinema and normally if you go to the cinema this is so off piece but I, I normally go to the cinema and uh, if someone's talking i'm like ah, will you shut the fuck up right <laughs> now now this is what i do i will turn to my friend i'll be like do you mind if we move you know what i mean because like like because i won't be hostile anymore because they were like yeah. wait a minute this guy that i know just tell me to shut them yeah so uh yeah it's it, it is it is quite funny and then obviously that show was hugely up and down um and i always say one one piece of advice that i always say about when you do any of these things smile more it is mm. not real just enjoy it. even in the most stressful moments i know you've done live tv and stuff like that it is stressful and there's a lot of people saying stuff to you uh, and, and 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 getting your, in your ear or, or or changing your song or changing the tone or whatever they want to do right Mm. just go up there and just kill them with kindness and that's one of the things i wish i did a little bit more but i'm so proud of myself when i did the show and, and i had a hard time is i never stepped back at the judges i never answered back in in a, in a way um that i felt was disrespectful 
I just took things on. And my friends used to take the piss. They'd be like, even if they said like, Dan, you look like the worst, ugliest piece of lettuce I've ever fucking seen. Right. I would have gone. Okay. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> I, I mean, of it. I was mindful of it, you know? Well, I th- we'll get on to we'll get on to that stuff in a sec. I just want to very quickly just just touch on that audition because I really want to ask you that. I mean, it was it was such a brilliant audition. I watched it last night, and it's do you know it's got forty seven million views now on YouTube. That video, it's you know, bizarre. I get excited when I get like four views, like on <laughs> yeah, forty seven million views. But I just want to you know you said you don't remember that much of it like now. I just I just wanted to ask how much of it you'd planned you know like like when you threw the mic when you went and sat down was it all just off the cuff that's the best way that i ever work like if i plan anything i'm shit like more rehearsed that i am i'm terrible it's contrived i don't work that way i never have like if mm. I, I i always have to go out there and just be like whatever like it has to be a blank conference because my thing is always with performances and i don't know if you feel the same like it's great to be prepared obviously learn your words and all that stuff blah 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 but when it comes to what you're doing on that stage, it's actually nothing to do with me. It's to do with the audience that are in front. Mm. It can only spark off them. And if they're sat there like this, then I have to change tack to what I'm doing. Well, it wouldn't have been the same audition, would it? <laughs> you know what I mean? Going for it. Then, then, then I've got them on side and then I can play, you know, and, and, and everyone sort of talks to me about that moment when I, I threw the mic to, to, to my other hand and they were like, oh, you must have come up with that. And I was like, no, no, no. I used to be in a wedding band, uh, the Mark Tate band. Um, and we had corned mics. So that's the only thing you could do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's, that's, all, that's all you could do. You couldn't do anything. You can do the Michael Bublé or the Robbie Williams. Like, woohoo. Because we had corned mics. So it just sort of stemmed from that. And, and I remember just, I think there's an element. <laughs> so I sit down on the stage. And the main reason why I sit down on the stage is because I was a little tired. So, <laughs> like, honestly, I was just like, woo, I'm going to sit down here. It's fine. Oh, you seem to be okay. It's fine. Because I was, I was only working on their cue. Now, if they seem hostile, that's too comfortable. You can't be like that. But if, you, if people allow you to be in their home, you know what I mean? And that's what it was. Like, people were, like, standing up and, you know, really happy and smiling. And so I could be a little bit cheeky i could be like a little bit have fun and play for and stuff like that mm. and and that's you know i sang at so many weddings and stuff like that that's what you had to do when you had to, when you mm. sang at weddings you had to you had to be a performer because if you weren't no one would get up and dance because totally. a lot of people at weddings don't want to get up and dance but if you kind of give it a little bit of a shake and you know um and we're super lucky you know on our first i think the first live show uh, when it came out was me stacy jamie caldry and jedward that was consistently the first live show that came out in, in August in 2009. And that is a really strong first show. And I think the second show was Ollie and, and a couple of others. And, you know, and I think they just had these criteria that no one had a sub story. They were just their names, mm. you know, and I thought that was really, really important. Yeah. And then, so you touched on it earlier, but you, you said you had a bit of a hard time. I think, I think that's putting it mildly, really. I mean, we were, you know, we, we used to have little, uh, you're probably aware, but we used to have parties in Reading to, to watch the episodes. And, uh, you know, because we were all your mates and we go and support you. And um, so, I mean, some of the things they said to you, Dan, I mean, we don't have to go into the, the nitty gritty. No, you, but you, you, you can. Let's do it. Let's get but, in there. That's why I mean, 
I mean, the ridiculous stuff about changing the lyrics to to fit your sexual orientation and things like that, that, that they were just you could tell, especially looking back, that they were just doing it to make to make a bit of drama, make it a bit of TV. But wasn't it it must have been embarrassing and hurtful for you at the time? I mean, it's just it's just nonsense stuff. I mean, she, she actually had to come out and apologize publicly to you. Right. So here we go. Let's go into this. Um, I have, I've not really overly talked about this, um, just over pure respect for anyone. But, do you know, what? it's 11 years ago. Who gives a fuck? Um, so, uh, no, honestly, so what actually happened in that whole situation is that I got given a completely different song. I got given Jealous Guy um, mm-hmm. by John Lennon, mm-hmm. um, and which is such a great song. And, it is. Uh, uh, it's such a good song. And uh, um, they changed my song last minute. And I was just like, oh, okay, that's cool. And I said, we want you to do the song from Dreamgirls. Now, I do like theatre, but I'd never seen it. Like, I didn't, I didn't know it. I just knew it was a girl song. And the line in the song is, um, you're the best man I've ever known, right? I'm a gay man. So, uh, like, but I'm totally comfortable with saying that. I was 27. I, I, didn't, I didn't care. The one thing was, I, I cared a little bit just because it was the first live show. Mm. Right. And, 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 and not like there's any worry about homophobia or anything like that. I just felt like it's just not needed. And so I just changed the line to the, you're the, you know, the, you're the best girl. And I should have said friend or whatever. It makes no difference. And I remember saying to Danny's makeup artist or assistant that, you know, so I was like, Oh, should I do it? And he's like, you should totally do it. I was like, I'm not going to do it. And I think it kind of stemmed a conversation between Danny and her PA uh, assistant and uh, and then then just having a conversation. I think she thought it was going to be funny because mm. if you watch if you watch back the clip, um, the, she is asked what she said again. And I'll tell you what, if you say imagine you said a really horrible word. Right. Um, and they said, what did you say? Mm. Are you going to say that word again? Exactly mm. the same. You're not. You're not going to do it because you're going to know that people are upset with you. But she said exactly the same because I thought she thought it was going to be funny. Now, Simon went apoplectic. He went mental. It, it was crazy. Um, and uh, uh, he was really upset. At her? At her, yeah. At her, at yeah. Her. And, uh, um, um, at, and it's funny because everyone, everyone jumps on Danny. And, but if you rewatch the comments after that uh, first live show, Louis and Cheryl's comments are much worse. Mm. And, and, but she gets it because there's an element of the people think she's being homophobic. Um, and, and, and she wasn't, she was tr- trying to be funny and it didn't work. It just fell, fell flat. Mm. And, uh, we've all done, and, we've all done that, haven't we? Yeah. Yeah. Tell me about it. It's crazy. And so, but what happened that evening and it probably saved her job, right? What happened that evening is Stephen Gately from boys and died. All right. So the next day, Louis was not there. Hmm. So the whole situation of that conversation that went on, I think at the point, I think for about five, six, seven years, it was the most complained about um, thing that happened on TV ever. Was it? Yeah. yeah. And but so- I, I, I don't know, obviously, uh, I've got slight, slightly blurred memories of it now, but was, was that kind of the spark that lit off sort of a, a bit of a national attack on you in general? No, was that something else? No, I, I, so I think what happened with that situation is that one, people don't like anyone that they 
that, and, and someone else has already said this person's good, right? We don't really like that person. It's a bit like Manchester United just outing you, supporting them. But they you know are good. I mean? People <laughs> will never know. We'll never know. But people, people don't like Man United just because Man United are Man United. Mm. Uh, people don't like Michael Bublé just because Michael Bublé owns Christmas. He doesn't. He put one <laughs> Christmas album out and people play it. But everyone's yeah. like, oh, I hate Michael Bublé. You know, it's, it's, it's this weird thing. And so I just, it wasn't a thing that everyone sort of had this idea. I think that they hadn't chosen me. You know what I mean? And I think we mm. like to see someone who 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 grows into their part instead of already being that thing. And when that happened, when the actual show finished, I, I, I felt so much better when the show finished because one, it was over. But secondly, I saw the I saw the voting figures. Yeah. And, and the voting and the voting figures were so humbling because that first live show I won by a huge percentage. Mm. and then it dropped off in the next couple of shows then i won like show four i was in bottom three um show two uh, show three and then i won show four and now i sang in purple rain and i i think i got double the amount of votes to the person who got the second highest amount of votes mm. like it was ridiculous and then or maybe purple rooms afterwards i don't want to miss a thing there's those stuff that happened and i won three of the shows, of the 10 shows that I was in, and Joe McEldry won four, Stacey won two, and Rachel won one. You know, it, it was really weird. And I think what actually happened is the public didn't have this view. It was just depressed it. Mm. And so you can't win against that. And so I wouldn't give them two stories. I would just not say anything. Mm. And they'll go after everyone. Now, you, you must have been contacted and, and, and friends and family and all that stuff were contacted. And, you know, yeah, I, it's bizarre. I mean, I remember actually, now you've said that I'd forgotten this, but I remember, because how old would I have been then, Dan, if you're, you were 27 at the time, right? 27, you were probably, yeah, so how old are you, 20? 19? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, something like that. So I'd have been, I'd have been in my, I, I remember specifically being in my car and having a, a phone call from a withheld number from a journalist asking for an interview about you. I mean, that's how big it was. And I mean, we're we're good friends, but it's it's not like we lived together or we were like really, really, really best friends. You know, we were just good how, mates, weren't we? How fucking dare you, <laughs> <laughs> mate? To, to be honest, I'll I'll come and move in with you. Me, me and Bay will pack our bags right now. I love your flat. Go on, um, let's go, let's go. But but yeah, do you know what I mean? It was they must have been contacting everyone that was even in your orbit, you know? So it's, it's mad just to put it into perspective. How, how was that? Cause you were doing all these events and I'm assuming earning good money at the time and turning, turn, turning up and just being a public figure, you know, and there, there was, li I mean, what was that like? What was that level of fame? Like, cause you were really thrust into it, weren't you? Yeah, do you know what? The, the, the nicest thing about it is I just, I had the humbling of my friends and, um, and, I remember the first thing I did, and you were there, the first thing I did when I got kicked out of that show, I done all of my press on Monday, and then I went and played five-a-side football with you and the guys. Yeah. <laughs> that's the first thing I did. Because mm. that's why I went to be. That was my, that, I, I, I didn't think, oh yeah, I made it, I'm all this person. You know what I mean? Like, I'm a commodity. Like, I, I, I'm only the beck and call of the people that want me. And, you know, yeah, we played those shows and we did some amazing things. And we went on the X Factor tour. It's one of the favorite things I've ever done in my entire life. Because to audition at the O2 and then for one year later to play four shows sold out of the O2 is 
ridiculous mm. like absolutely ridiculous and um did you guys but, all get on really well that that touring company so it was all the people that were on the show did you all get on yeah so, so it was the top eight so it was lucy jones who's smashing it and doing amazing as well um it was uh, jamie afro it was jedwood it was lloyd it was myself it was uh stacy it was ollie and it was joe and we all got on there was like little tiny niggly things like there mm-hmm. would be always but actually for us to be as hot house as we were for three months continuously on tour there was no jealousy because i think what happened is everyone was their place mm-hmm. joe had won yeah. Ollie had came second and so on and so on and so there was no you didn't have to you know the audience were there for whoever wanted to entertain them they didn't care you sure. know what I mean? Like uh, Jedward got as much screens as 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 Ollie did. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So it, it 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 was it was an incredible incredible time, and 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 I think when we got to you know sing when I got to sing with a little help for my friends, it was one of my favourite moments. And um, I sat down. This is such a weird story. I sat down at, at rehearsals, and they're like, "So what happens is uh, Jan finishes a Man in the Mirror. He comes down the stairs." And then uh, a piano will appear and he sits down and he plays the first part of A Little Help For My Friends. I was like, um, I, I don't play piano. <laughs> they're, like, they're like, oh, okay. Okay, okay, well, we'll, we'll think of something out. I was like, cool. So anyway, came to the show, first live show. Walked down, piano, rehearsal. And uh, they're like, go on in. I was like, I can't. They're like, just pretend. So I lied to half a million people at all <laughs> about playing piano that I still can't play. But um, halfway through the song, um, for some reason, the piano carried on playing, but I got up. And, um, and J- <laughs> J- Jamie Afro and uh, Ollie Murs came out and uh, did the chorus and did the verses with me on the, on the song. And I just because we're all kind of from that London area and he, uh, Ollie was from Essex and Jamie was from Putney. And we all just kind of, came together and it was just such a great moment because to be on that stage at any of those venues um was amazing and one of my favorite venues is the um it used to be called the a2 but it's called the three arena in in dublin and mm. it just I, I remember singing uh, i've got a feeling and we knew it was going to be a good night because we had the mics and we went i got a feeling and we put the mics out and we went Ooh! the whole place just erupted singing mm. back to us this is going to be a, a, a good night. A good, good night. Sorry. <laughs> Shit, pardon. I do apologize. Just cut that out. <laughs> no, mate, this is going raw. I'm not doing any editing. It's too much work. <laughs> it is. It's so much editing. It's mental. Yeah, yeah. Do. It's so do you, do, you, um, do you still speak to the guys now? Are you friends with some of them still? Yeah, I mean, occasionally, like, if, we, if our paths cross, then we do. Um, um, I, I went to Lucy Jones's wedding. She married a friend of mine, um, Ethan, and um, she was um, just finished in Waitress. Obviously, right now, what's happening, um, you know, there is no theatre on and stuff like that, but mm. she just literally owned this part in Waitress, and she was so amazing. I was, I was so proud of her. I went and saw Jeremy Coldry live last year as well. Um, I've seen a couple of shows of Lloyd. He was in Joseph as well. Um, and then I've hung out Jamie after he came and did my radio show when I was doing for BBC Berkshire. And so, um, and so did Lucy as well. So, uh, and Rachel other day, she occasionally I'll speak to her on, on, on Twitter. She's, uh, she, she uses Twitter a lot, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I love Rachel. Obviously I did Thriller with her. So we're really good mates. Uh, so. she, was so good. <laughs> she did a video of her singing a Whitney Houston song and the kids there and her husband's filmed it. And it's got like, I don't know, 11 million views on Twitter. It's amazing. Really? Wow. Yeah. I'll send it to you. I'll send it to you. Yeah. So what would you say? <laughs> Looking back now, was it 
overall a positive experience for you doing the X Factor? A hundred percent. I like. I would not. I would not have achieved or have what I have now or learnt what I uh, have uh, learnt without it. I mean, I uh, would I do it again? Um, I, I yeah, I'd do it differently, um, and I'd, I'd smile more and uh, <laughs> and uh, you know. But it's. It is it is a hard thing, and and uh, I probably would have been better with my mummy. Actually, I think that's another th- th- weird thing that happens is that uh, when you when you do things like this, uh, yeah, you do make money, uh, but I think you don't realise that so does everyone else around you. So everyone who is your agent, your manager, your tour manager, uh, uh, even sometimes your friends, or you know, uh, you're spending a lot of money, and uh, mm-hmm. and and then you've got to remember you got a tax bill. And I remember my first tax bill after doing the show. And remember, I was just a humble teacher. Um, <laughs> my first tax bill after the show. And I, I can't even begin to say how much money that was that, you know, and it's amazing because, you know, our taxes go to such important things. And right now our taxes are going to, you know, help the NHS and, you know, and, and, and everyone else that are struggling right now. And, and hopefully to, to, to people who are not working, it helps those as well. But it is a weird thing when you you go from not making any money to making some money, and then you're like, "Whoa, I don't know what to do with this." Mm. Like, I don't know what to do with this, and 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 I I, I spent uh, renting places, and I know people rented places in London and stuff like that. And if, if if we just collated together and just like bought like a couple of apartments somewhere, mm. like a four or five of us, you know, we would have smashed it. But we had no idea what we were doing, and I think that's one of the things that. Um, if I if I could do it again, I'd probably do that better. Mm. No, nobody's good with their money when they're 27, though, really, are they? <laughs> Damn it, just terrible. I mean, I'm very lucky now because you know I I I um uh I I bought a, I did bought an apartment and it did okay. Uh, so when I sold it and then uh, I bought another place, it went terribly wrong. And so uh, so I had to go and buy something a lot smaller and then live with that for a little while. And then. Um, I was very lucky that I came across the place I live now, which is like a, an old skittle alley that got converted. It's just like a little bungalow, but it, all of my little weird trinkets and weird things that I have just kind of work. And, and, uh, and, and I, I feel like I'm at home uh, and I got my little dog Darcy as well. And she keeps me company though. I think she's annoyed how much I'm walking her right now, which is only an hour a day, by the way, which I think <laughs> half an hour. I'm running. I'm, I'm getting myself in trouble now. So <laughs> you're allowed to exercise once a day, mate. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. So it's, you're actually you're based in Thiel now, aren't you? Why did you relocate there? Um, I, I found this house actually, um, uh, and terrible story on this one. I shouldn't really tell it, but uh, my friends, a uh, very good friend of mine, I won't name them. They'll know who I'm talking about. And um, <laughs> uh, that's if they get this far through. And then uh, they they wrote on Facebook uh, this. Uh, they found this house and they said, "Oh, it's like our dream house." And they're like, "Oh." We- we can't afford it though, but it's like a dream house. And I was like, Oh, I'm thinking about moving. I might go and have a look at it. And By you way, bought their dream house. You bastard. So I couldn't afford it. I spoke to my bank manager. He said, no. So I was looking at other places. I put in an offer and it was way under offer. And it, I still couldn't afford it then. And then he said, um, look, yeah, you can have it. I was like, what? And then he changed his mind. And then Three months later, four months later, he came back and I still hadn't found a place. And he said, you can have it for the original price. So I did buy it. Even worse, even worse, right? Then I invited my friends around for dinner. 
<laughs> Look what you could have had. <laughs> but you know, they've gone on, they've gone on and bought somewhere really lovely and stuff like that. And you know, and and, and I think they're really happy. So it feels a great place. It's great uh, for people walking dogs. It's a sense of community, and especially right now. And everyone knows everyone. I was speaking to this wonderful lady called Mary. She walked past my house the other day when I was just doing some gardening out in the front. And she was like 95. She was dressed up to the nine. She looked amazing. And uh, and she just stopped social distancing. But she stopped just by my house. <laughs> and she was just like, hey, this, this used to be a skittle alley. And I said, oh, yeah. She went, I don't want to be rude or anything, but I've been in your house. And I was just like, oh, really? <laughs> She's like, yes, I used to go down to the alley all the time. And uh, and I tell you what, the funny thing about uh, Bill for me is there was this wonderful band that I grew up with uh, called The Goats. And, uh, yes. and I... I was introduced to Theo by you guys because I used to go down to the ball, which we still go down to, and we played we played together like last year at the end of yeah, the end. I love it. And 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 it's just this quaint little village and lovely pubs, lovely people, and a good sense of community, and a train station straight to London, which is incredible. Uh, mm. And I just love it. And I, I I'm going to struggle to to move out of field to be honest I, I i i've loved everywhere i've lived but this is this is a bit different yeah sounds you sounds like you've got the right balance there of of uh, nature and pubs and <laughs> but still I'm just being getting, well connected i'm just getting old you know what i mean i just i just <laughs> like the pubs and the walk you know yeah oh mate tell me about it I, i'm in um a little area called Northfields, which is uh, near Ealing. And it's yeah. kind of the same vibes, actually. There's so many lovely little local cafes and independent restaurants. And I live above uh, my landlord's underneath. But then the ne- next door, there's a cheese and wine shop that sells like amazing fresh cheese. And wow. and um, it's it's actually really lovely. And in, in the lockdown, we've been just going to the local shops, which are still doing takeaway stuff. And we've been picking up like fresh bread and fresh pasta and and it's kind of it's really nice actually. It's been really, I, f- I felt really lucky living here at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I mean, right now, I guess uh, as being an artist, um, like how how are you doing? Like uh, what 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 what's going on? I mean, my auntie and uncle have been loving um, uh, your 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 sessions that you've been doing and stuff like that. I think my auntie uh, and my uncle donated fifty quid on your first one. So that's <laughs> how much you liked it. Yeah, 50 amazing. Quid. Bless I, I think him, that's man. pretty good. Yeah. You know uh, what, Dan? Yeah. yeah, I mean, for me. The, the online gigs have been a, my saviour, really. I mean, I was I was um, I did a podcast with Tom Longhurst actually earlier on. And um, and we were saying, like, you don't realise sort of how many how many people you pick up over the years, you know, people you've met through different things, you know, whether it be the quotes or when I did Thriller or whatever. Um, or the classic rock show that I'm doing now. And you you don't realize how many people just, you know, are all, all over the place and can't get to a gig normally. And actually the online gigs have been so lovely and people have been so generous and it's literally helped me pay my rent. Um, Cause otherwise I don't know how we would have, you know, a, a self-employed musician and a, and a hair and makeup artist, you know, like we're there's just our industry of obviously just disappeared. So I just want to, yeah. Anyone listening to this, thank you so much for watching my gigs basically. But I mean, how's it, how's it for you? How, how are you doing in the quarantine? Yeah, I mean, apart from, uh, I live by myself, as I say, but apart from that and, and, and being a bit lonely, though I've done so many quizzes, so I don't actually won one yeah. for the first time. So <laughs> Did I you? So, yes. So I'm very excited to be quiz master next, the next week. Um, yeah, it's been okay. I, I, I'm very lucky. I, I work for the Postcode Lottery and, uh, um, and we still are giving out great news and, uh, and, and uh, we're letting people know that they've won money in this mm. time and it, which is amazing you know it was just, just like it's such a an amazing thing to to tell people that they kind of won 
an amount of money when they're like, what? You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. You know, because they really need to. You know what I mean? It's, totally. it's super important for them to, 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 to win money. And, and uh, at this time, I, uh, I think someone in Glasgow um, won 100 grand. You know what wow. I mean? It's just so important, you know, that it, it couldn't come at a better time, to be honest. Like, it's, uh, it's, it's, it, it's amazing. So I, I'm, I'm still working at this moment, um, and which I'm super lucky and, and so uh, grateful for. Um, and I know a lot of people are going to be struggling, but I think everything's going to come back. Can I just say one thing? I'm going to just plug in my laptop. Yeah. I'm gonna... um, yeah, of course. So um, my my auntie and uncle came and saw you in your rock show in uh, Cadogan Hall. Oh, cool. And uh, and uh, let me just uh, yeah, there's so many ports here, and I can never get them in. Right. Okay. We came to Cadogan Hall, and um, I have to say. I have never, ever heard you sound better in my entire life. You were sublime. And not only, not only sublime, you were fun, you were personable, and it was so, I felt so proud. Every single time I've ever seen you or watched you anything like that, I've always been proud about it. But this situation and the show you were in, you owned it without, I don't, without being narcissistic. You were just there for the people and you were singing your heart and showing what you could do. But it was for us. And oh, it was, bless you, mate. Thank you so much. But it was it was it was beautiful. And I know I, I wanted to say that. And I saw your dad, who's like, you know, such a big fan of you. And, 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 and you I think so many people are so proud of everything you've kind of done. And you've never ever change you still don't pass in football but you've never ever... <laughs> i think that's unfair i think that's unfair <laughs> no, no it's completely unfair it's just a trick but um you've never changed and, and and one of the nicest things is is you you are so giving and you you've been such a support of me and 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 uh, and of this whole time and i wouldn't have it any other way and if you asked me to do anything I would always say, always say yes. I'd actually, when you asked me to do this podcast, I actually misread it and I thought you just wanted me to advertise the other ones you were doing. I was like, oh, oh. <laughs> I wasn't sure that you were asking me to do it. So I was just like, no, no, of course, I, I will help um, distribute your podcast. It's fine. Don't worry. No, no, no. So. <laughs> this, the whole, you know, one of the, the driving sort of factors behind this was that I, I, I thought in, in the lockdown, it would be a great excuse for me to just Skype some of my friends and have a catch up, you know. And, um, and, you know, I genuinely think people are people are interested in your story, you know, and, um, you know, because, you know, like you said, as a 27 year old to have all that fame heaped on your shoulders and all that pressure, you know, and it's great. It's great to hear that you're, you know, that you're still good and you're, you're still you've made a really good career for yourself, you know, haven't you from from using that as a platform. Yeah, and you know, I got to, like I said, I got to travel over the world. I got to meet, meet and work with so many wonderful artists. I couldn't even begin to think about like working with as a little boy sat in my bedroom. And and it's, I feel so privileged to. Uh, and then, yeah, again, it all goes back to it. If I didn't go to Star Maker, it would have never have happened. Mm. Props to Dave, that, Dave Savage, if you're listening, yeah. Dave. <laughs> Dave, Dave and Kathy are going to be loving that. But yeah, I mean, it was mainly Glynis. But um, so, uh, <laughs> um, but you know, it, 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 you know, the friends I made and the the things I learned and um, the, the the bridges that I built in that time. Um, some of them have come crashing down, but some of them have been rebuilt beautifully. And um, and I wouldn't be the person I was if I didn't one move to Reading. And two, if I if I didn't join 
this say the company and meet everything else like everything else sparked from that moment i went to i went to reading uh reading college and met stefan and michael uh michael quinn and stefan boyce and they said let's why didn't you come and do the star maker and then from that moment on like literally every single one of my friends is from star maker which is mm. crazy and you 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 mentioned reading then you've i don't know if you'll you'll accept this kind of uh mantle but you've kind of become mr reading in a lot of ways you you do so much for charity and you're you're very much part of the community you, you you're always involved with the pride of pride of reading and i know you're such a humble bloke but you you do do a lot for charity and you're always making public appearances and helping out with you know like like you said teaching and children and stuff like that and you you obviously like giving back so i think that's that should be championed as well mate you know all that stuff that you've been doing over the years I, I think one of my things is, is I feel like I'm so humbled to how Reading got behind me when I did the show that all I wanted to do was repay them. Mm. And so when I came back, I tried to make sure that I never, ever charged for my time. I, if, if someone asked me to do the biggest or smallest thing, jump out of a plane or paint a, you know, a, a, a room, mm -hmm. I would do it. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I would do it. And, 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 and I always said this caveat, if I'm free, I'll be there. Mm. If it's if it's local and it's Reading and you ask me and we'll make it work. If I can't make it work, we'll do something else and we'll figure a way of doing something else. But like I'm so humbled and, and, and until the until the day that I'm, I I take my last breath, I will never ever charge to do a show in Reading. Um it will always be free and 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 any and in my time will be free and um I just want to I just want to help out. That 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 puts up a lot of pressure on my shoulders. Uh you know, but people have been so lovely and I've, I've met some of the kindest sweetest people and, and the pride of reading the people that work on that I, I can't i can't name everyone but hillary and sally and matt um uh, just have turned something that was so beautiful into something that is so recognizable around berkshire and further afield and, and and the pride of reading is and i tell you what the stories that are going to be told if we don't have a pride of reading this year and it's going to be next year whatever happens right the stories that are going to be told about people going that extra mile, that little tiny thing that they thought no one even noticed, right? It's going to be amazing. You're going to see the community stories. You know, there's always going to be bad stories. And Chris Tarrant, who helps, um, you know, host it, he always says, you know, the Reading gets a bad rap. And same as any town. But also there are some wonderful people here and they do some of the best stuff. And they don't scream and shout about it. They never scream and shout about it. They just do it. And those are the people I love the most. And, and, and uh, it, it's, I just feel humbled every single time that I'm part of this wonderful, you know, town and, and Berkshire. And, and, you know, I work for the radio, BBC Berkshire, stuff like that. Like, if I, if I get asked to do it, I'll do it, you know? And that's, that's, what, that's why my mantra. So. Well, they're very lucky to have you, mate. <laughs> Shut you, up! <laughs> you, 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 I just got a couple more things. Uh, you mentioned yeah. earlier... Um, that you and Scott and Tom and Harry and all those guys are getting together to do this charity gig. You're so it's called man band and I'm assuming it's like a boy band, but you're all grown up. Is that, is that the idea? <laughs> yeah. We're, 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 we're all, we're, we're all like slightly fatter, um, slightly, uh, boozier, slightly more sprogs around and, and wedding bands and, and stuff like that. So yeah. So, um, Ben and uh, Ben Ashton, who's an actor and Stuart Halo, who's a performer, um, said and an artist as well who's done all the artwork is absolutely beautiful and um, they come up with this idea and they said Dan you know would you be up for doing it and I was like of course and 
uh, Scott Jenkins, who's a choreographer, and then two vocalists, uh, which is uh, Tom Kinjill and Harry Goff as well. And guess what? All from Star Maker, of course. Yeah. And, uh, um, and yeah, so we're, they've, they've written a show, and it's kind of a bit of a mockumentary, a bit like the Bros sort of thing. And um, right, cool. it, it's kind of a bit like that we used to be a band, and we're, re- we're reforming um, to help Ben's career. <laughs> <laughs> that's probably not too far from the truth is it so uh, yeah <laughs> it's probably helped everyone's career so yeah so apparently, i think the backstory was uh, i used to be in a band and then when i left to go and do some other stuff and then um and harry came and took my place and uh, so we're gonna be all on stage for the first time so i think half the show is gonna be with me and the second half is will i turn up I mean, right. I'm all over the place, so but we'll we'll see. But yeah, so, so we've been rehearsing. We've been rehearsing through uh, through uh, video calling. So we had a rehearsal yesterday. Um, it's not easy, and mm. the show went. Uh, the show tickets went on sale uh, to this week. So which is which is incredible. And I've already had messages saying they've already people have already bought tickets. So Who when knows? is it? Give it a little plug. When when is it? So it's the 11th of October. It's at the Kenton Theatre in uh, Henley, and uh, I think it's one show. But if it does really well, we'll do a matinee. Um, I think is what we're going to say. Um, obviously, we have no idea what's going to happen um, and uh, with theatres and stuff like that, but we're just going ahead like it is. So it might be a bit rough around the edges, but so are we. So, uh, yeah, so it's called Bath <laughs> and you can get tickets right now. Amazing. And what, what kind of what kind of material is it? Is it all it is that boy bandy stuff, right? Are no. you allowed to say? <laughs> come, yeah. come on. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the biggest boy bands from when we were younger. So in the nineties and noughties, uh, it's kind of like the Backstreet Boys, uh, the the NSYNCs, the um, uh, what else is in there? The Take That's, um, the Blues, and stuff like that. So we're all kind of singing these songs, um, and we're just going to be putting on this a bit of a concert. Where it's just going to be fun, and it's going to be nostalgic fun, and a little bit. I was going to say shit, but it's not going to be shit. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, like it's not taken seriously. It's it's, it's 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 shits and giggles and and it's not it's not a serious um you know there's not loads of money being put into us we're raising money for uh, two charities so sue rider and the taxia um that are close to some of the people that are doing the show um so all the money that we're raising for it are going to those charities so that's what we're doing because right now people are finding it hard to give and uh, because you know they might not be working or they just think about their own money and uh, which we have to do in these times and so uh, if we get a chance to give back, that's what we're going to do. You know me, I'm a rock and roller through and through, but I'm there with bells on, mate. <laughs> <laughs> you better come with bells on. You better come with bells on. Dan, I'm not going to take up any more of your time, and I really appreciate you doing this, but there's one more thing. So everyone who's come on the, the podcast so far, I've asked them, you've, you've got a choice so you can either pick if a fantasy band or a fantasy five-a-side team. I know you're a big Arsenal Arsenal and Reading fan. I know yeah. you support both. Um, so you can either pick. You could do one gig with anyone ever. So you could be in a band with John Lennon, David Bowie, whatever. Or you can play a five-a-side football game with, with any four players of your choice. So firstly, are you going to do the band or the football team? I'm doing football. Football. (laughs) but the funny thing is about the band stuff if i like not to brag or anything like that i've been on stage and sang and done master classes with uh like incredible people and michael uh, i knew said michael jackson there no actually let's do a quick story michael jackson was supposed to be one of the mentors on our year of x factor if he didn't die could you imagine 
Could you That's imagine? Incredible. So, so we got, uh, so we had to sing in front of Whitney Houston. We had to sing in front of Michael Bublé. We had to sing in front of Robert Williams. We had to sing in front of Queen. We had to like there was all these people. So yeah, let's do football. Come on. Okay. So you, you can pick four four players to be on your team with you. I'm assuming you're in goal because you play. Yeah, in goal. I'm definitely in goal. It's fine. That, uh, that's so a decent goal. goalkeeper, by the way. Everyone <laughs> listening. <laughs> you look. You looked around. That there was loads of people around you. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> that's nice. Yeah. Cool. Okay, okay. So. Um, it, can it be any players, or are you going to think like defensive midfield and attack? Is that what you're going for? Is it's, that what it's people five aside, so you, you can pick whatever you like, mate. Okay, alive, okay. alive or dead. Okay, wow, that's good. Okay, so up front, I'm going for I'm going for Ian Wright. Um, I think uh, he's one of those Choice. people that um, I'm massively inspired by. I listened to his Desert Island Discs a couple of weeks ago, and he is an emotional character who is super talented, and he has eight children, by the way, eight. Children. He just seems like the nicest wow. bloke ever, doesn't he? Yeah. He just seems yeah, he like does. such a great person, Ian Wright. Yeah. And he was a killer striker as well. You're looking back at his striker. Back at his palace days when he was really oh. young. He was just he was unbelievable. But yeah, okay. Him and, like, him and Mark Bright and stuff up front. Anyway, so yeah, back in the day. So Ian Wright's going up front. Okay, so uh let's think of someone who is gonna be putting through hmm. So I don't know if I should choose all Arsenal players or I should because that's the way it's gonna go. I'm gonna <laughs> Um, I really like, I really like Jack Wilshire. And the thing is about Jack Wilshire is I think that he is this super talented player that just kind of just tried that tiny bit too hard that got injured a lot because of that reason. So yeah. I, Jack, you, you know, someone, Jack wheelchair, I call him. Jack wheelchair. He'd love <laughs> let, let's let, let, let's tag him in there. Right. <laughs> okay, yeah, so, so you got you got Wilshire in the middle and Ian right up front. Yeah, so, okay, uh, uh, it's really difficult because I'm trying to think of England players that I want to uh, put in this team as well, or maybe like a Brazilian player or something like that. Oh, I, do you know what? Let's, 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 it's fine. So you've got Wilshire, you've got you've got uh, uh, Ian Bright. I'm going to have like a tactician on the side, so I'm going to go for a cheeky Ronaldo because you've got to. Yeah, yeah. Can you imagine? Like, you're not, you're, he's he's going to play a bit like you, right? He's never going to pass. Do you mean Cristiano, not the Brazilian Ronaldo? Yeah, not Fat Ronaldo. Yeah. <laughs> Cristiano, Cristiano, Cristiano. Yeah. And, and I feel like now I need to have a little bit of uh, uh, defensive, uh, defensive stability. So, yeah. who am I going to go with? Um, I'm going to go with. Da, da, da. I'm just trying to think of a good centre back that would be pretty good. Mustafi. I'm joking. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, bless him. Uh, no, I really, I really like Mustafi. By the way, I think he gets a bit of a hard time, in, and I think he's actually quite a good player. I just think sometimes he just gets like that one percent wrong, and I think people just look at that. And I think if we looked at everyone's one percent, we would all feel a bit terrible. You know what I mean? So That's true. I'm, I'm just, I'm just Premier saying. League's high stakes, though, isn't it? You know, it's it's a high yeah. stakes game. Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, okay, so who am I going to go for as a defender? I'm going to say it keeps on flashing into my head. Uh, I'm going to go Tony Adams because I think he was a he was a club legend. He, he, he liked to drink, and so <laughs> you, can, you can go down the pub afterwards. I don't know if he drinks anymore, but yeah. So I'm going to go. Uh, so I did choose one person that wasn't Arsenal. So it's me and the goalie. Uh, then we've got Tony Adams, solid in the defence. Then you've got Jack Wilshire, which is kind of holding and sort of linking there. And you've got sort of Ronaldo and Wrighty kind of just off there. And I think that would be a formidable five-a-side team. That would be quality, mate. <laughs> Dan, thank you so much for doing this, mate. It's been an absolute pleasure. And, uh, Absolutely no problem. I'll, uh, yeah, see you very soon. Bye-bye. Yes, awesome.
What a lovely, humble and genuine person Daniel Johnson is. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. If you want to find out what Daniel's up to, head over to www.facebook.com slash Daniel Johnson official. Dan's also releasing his very own podcast called Best Thing, which will be out in July and may even feature a certain rock and roll singer called Jesse. Next week's guest is none other than Level 42 founder member and songwriter Mike Linda. He's an amazing guy and I can't wait for you to hear the chat we had. This was a Jesse Smith production. Music by Neil X, Mark Garfield and me. If you want to grab a copy of my album, you can do so at jessysmithuk.com. Another episode of Staying Alive over. I wonder how many episodes of the pod will have been released by the time lockdown is over. Until then, stay safe, stay alive, and be nice to each other.